Morning Twitter. I am Stephanie McNeil. He's Saeed Jones. It's Thursday. Happy Thursday. You're watching AM to DM, of course. We made it, children. Okay, as predicted by moi, this week is already doing too damn much. Earlier this morning, the President of the United States tweeted this, FBI and DOJ to review the outrageous Jesse Smollett case in Chicago. It is an embarrassment to our nation. Uh, you know what's embarrassing? Tweets like that from the president. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't necessarily agree that the FBI should be getting involved here. What about you? I just, I, I feel like there are important questions for the Chicago PD, totally. for Kim Fox, the DA. I want to know, like, why things are sealed and everything. That's a state issue. That's a city issue. The president, like, watching Fox News and then just casually throwing his hat into it all, it's just, like, not productive. Yeah, I mean, it's not the sort of thing where I think the FBI normally would yeah. get involved. So it's interesting that this is like, oh, I don't agree with this. Let the FBI get involved. It's like, no, like, okay, the case is settled. It obviously, there's a lot of problems. People have a lot of problems with how it was right. settled. Mm -hmm. But that is an issue for the state and the city to deal with. Yeah, like, aren't there we don't need to, like, things? keep investigating this thing. Yeah, and I certainly would like to believe that the President of the United States has more important things to worry about. Than I would like to believe so, too. And yet. Uh, well, we are going to do what we should do, which is, you know, mind our own damn business. We'll leave it with this tweet from Alex Jung. This Empire reboot is wild. Yeah, is it like Sweeps Week or something? Chill out, guys. I mean, if this was all just like promo for Empire... That, now that would be a story I'd want to cover on AM yeah. to DM. Am I going to watch at least the premiere of next season? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. How do you watch it? Like, it, like I feel like you're like so taken out of the character. Yeah. I don't know. But I'm like yeah. Monique. I would like to see it. Yeah, we'll probably watch it. Why not? Well, on to more messes. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News UK editor Alan White. Current Brexit level, fielding emails from random members of the American public who want to know what the fuck is going on. Oh my God, I just, I'm this close to kind of giving up on following Brexit. Are you following it? I just, I, I don't know what's happening. So I am trying really hard mm -hmm. and I feel like I should be able to follow it. Mm -hmm. Like I have a degree in international relations. Like you think that I could be able to follow this somehow. And even this morning trying to read all these articles, it's one of those things where you read an article and your brain cannot comprehend. Yeah. And I'm just so confused. I don't yeah. get it at all. Yeah, I don't have a degree and I can't fucking understand it. I also just feel like the thing is, it's like every, not even every week, it seems like every three days, the Brexit story is complicated in a new way and there are new stakes. And then whatever happens, happens. There's a new vote. And then three days later, it's a whole new kind of crazy. So it's like, this doesn't even apply. Like, what's going on? So we're going to go now to BuzzFeed News reporter Hannah Al Offman. She's going to hopefully help us understand what's going on. Good morning, Hannah. Hi. Hi. Hannah, you are our only hope. <laughs> Please help us. <laughs> and you obviously co-wrote a story called Parliament Has Rejected Every Single Brexit Plan. I love the deck there. It's er, <laughs> what now? <laughs> so let's back up a bit. What was the goal of these votes yesterday? What were, what was the parliament trying to accomplish? Mm. So basically, we've had um, Theresa May, our Prime Minister, she went off and she agreed this deal with the EU, uh, the European Union, and she tried to get that through Parliament twice. And basically, all our members of Parliament said, no, we don't like your deal. It was uh, the first time it was defeated by the biggest ever margin in the history of our Parliament. So they really, really did not like it. Um, so then the purpose of yesterday, they were like, okay, well, you know, what do we like? Uh, they had the opportunity to put forward lots of other suggestions for how we could proceed. 
So there were 16 proposals put forward. That got then shortlisted down to eight, and MPs voted on those eight, and then they rejected them all. They rejected them all. This is just such a mess. Well, can you tell us about the one that was most popular, even if, you know, it's still very relatively speaking? Yeah. Yeah, so the ones that were kind of um, received the most votes and the narrowest defeats, so was actually to have another, so there, there were two. So one lost by 27 votes, but got like the most number of MPs voting for it, which was to have a um, pe- what's called a people's vote by the campaign of the people who are campaigning for this, or, you know, more generically would refer to it as a second referendum, um, which is to, after all the negotiations are finished, to ask people, you know, do they want to go ahead? Do they want to leave the EU on the terms that have been agreed? Um, so that, that, that got 268 votes in total. It was defeated by um, 27. And then we had another one that lost by just eight votes. Um, 264 MPs voted for that, but a few more abstained. And that was... Um, to basically have a customs union. So that's, um, you know, similar to, I mean, this is what is in existence in the EU now, which is where member states agree the same import deals and you allow free trade between those member states. So to have something like that, um, but, you know, that that's not, that's not something that the hard Brexiteers like. They're people that really, really want to leave because they say, you know, we should be free to make our own trade deals with um, the US and China. But, you know, there are a lot of MPs that, that think, you know, to stay in some kind of customs union is the way forward. That's really interesting that mm. the second most popular, I mean, popular a bunch of um, among a bunch of things that failed is just to go back all the way to 2016 and try all over again and have another vote. Mm. Um, What if we could? Yeah, yeah. So seriously. Uh, So Theresa May yesterday said that she would quit if her deal was approved. Why is that something she would do? So basically, she's uh, got lots of people within her own party who don't necessarily support her, but um, they had a vote to try and remove her in um, December, and she survived that vote. She won. And that means under the Conservative Party rules, they can't challenge her again for a year. Um, But there's a lot of people that don't want her there. So she's like, okay, you know what? You vote for my deal. I I, I get Brexit through. I have my legacy and then I'll go. Um, So some MPs, you know, it worked and they said, yes, yes, we'll vote for it. Um, But some of this were like, absolutely no way. We're not voting for your deal. There was one MP, he said he was consumed with ferocious rage and he said, I could um, tear this place down and bulldoze it into the river. So, you know, that's the kind of strength of feeling, you know. For some of them, um, it, it's it's more about the deal than about Theresa May. Even though they may not particularly like her, it's still not enough. They're not going to vote for her deal. Okay. That wow. sounds theatric. Yeah, well, listen, yeah. British people start using adjectives. I've learned they actually are very upset. <laughs> well, <laughs> Hannah, thank you so much. You have provided much-needed clarity to us and our viewers. Mm-hmm. No worries. Thank you. All right. He said he was going to tear the place down and throw it into the river. I love, I find Drama? British accents so soothing. I love listening to them. And That's like, true. now I want to go like YouTube that and hear yeah. him say that. Same, actually. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of that very angry man, let's uh, burn it all down with some fire tweets. Fire! Okay, so the first fire tweet we got here is a song, and I tried singing it. It doesn't really work, so bear with me, guys, okay? This is from Cher Horowitz. 
straight male version of thank you next be like, one taught me basic emotional intelligence. One taught me standard grooming skills. One taught me a few things about feminism. Now I'm off for some other woman to benefit from the emotional labor of my hexes. I mean, incredible. Yeah. I just feel like there should be like a new version of Thank You Next that's just like a dude singing it and it's like, use you next because that's oh, what yeah. these Oh yeah, or do. like, you know, in my case, like turned my husband into a functioning human. <laughs> it's like, you. I say things and I'm like, I'm like, how do you not, you never, okay, okay. Oh man. Like, Men. Oh, men. gosh. Stop together, using men. women as, you know, resources. Anyway, the next tweet <laughs> comes from Wendy. You tweeted, So many people I knew as a kid are parents now, and I have no desire to be a parent. But if you need some dramatic flair, I will happily sweep into a baby shower or a birthday party dressed in all black and declare, I, too, have a gift for the child. <laughs> I'll do that today. Is that a like a sleeping beauty? Oh yeah, that's totally sleeping beauty. Malef it's Maleficent. a fucking mood. I don't even Maleficent. know how to say I that. Love <laughs> Maleficent. I love Maleficent. It. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're I say I could see you doing that if one of your I've friends had a baby. Done it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that. All right, Aubrey Casey. Every group chat versus a second smaller group chat without the annoying people. And if you think yours doesn't, I have some bad news. Whew. Okay, Aubrey, this tweet is so real. I have not retweeted it. For fear for that, fear that you're the annoying person? <laughs> <laughs> One, I know that I am, but also that it would cause even more drama, you know? It's also like some days you're the annoying person, sometimes it's someone else. Yeah, I was at a bachelorette party and everyone was joking that we were like, you know, the saltiest member because mm -hmm. we were in a hotel room with yep. some of my friends. And so we had a group chat that was shot off from the main group chat yep. called Bitch Room. I love it. I also <laughs> recommend having like a secondary group chat for the people who are good planners for like outings and stuff so that you can like go aside and be like, okay, where are we doing this? When are we doing this? When are people, okay, here's the plan and take it back to the group. So it's not like six people trying to decide on something. That's my tip. Yeah, well, let's take it to the timeline. Tell us about the last time your group chat did something shady to one of its members. Let us know using the hashtag AMSDM. In other group I chat news, wait. I just retweeted an amazing group chat thread of oh. where they are pretending to be emojis. Oh, that was really Go funny. onto my page yes. and look at it. I'm I not just it. trying to like gap myself up. That was very funny. It's very funny. Yeah, it is. Okay, this next tweet is from Danny. You tweeted, all I remember about college is that everyone was saying the word dichotomy. Uh, the teachers, the students, I heard a janitor say it once. I remember that too. I wonder if we were in school at the same time. I feel like now it's like praxis. I feel like I'm starting to see, and you know it because it starts to make it out of people's term papers into their tweets when they're being smart and it's usually used incorrectly. I love to just throw out like a big word from time to time. I'm like, I was like a big reader, like very mm -hmm. like as a kid. So that was like one of my favorite power moves. I mean, that shows how nerdy yeah. I am. It doesn't. Oh, it actually same. shows a lack same. of power. Shout out to ninth graders trying to work anti-disestablishmentarianism into like every paragraph. Yeah, yeah. That never worked. All righty, you ready for the tweet of the day? Let's do it. This is from Joey. Cop. Free sucker. Me. It's called a popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is my favorite genre of fire tweet. It's just where it's really silly. It's so good. I'm, I'm, I'm not as into the shady ones. I like the shady ones, but I, I also ones that just right. really make me Stop laugh. Popsicle. Hope you didn't get shot. Well, we have another great show ahead for you this morning. Coming up, you get to see Sylvia's interview with Christina Milian, an icon. Uh, didn't she do the AM to PM song? Yes. Ah, oh my that God. always gets stuck in my head on the show. Oh, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. Up next, we're going live from the district. <laughs> Thank you.
Welcome back. We are going live from the district and joining us now to talk about Trump's latest attack on the Affordable Care Act is BuzzFeed News DC Bureau Chief Kate Nassera. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. Hi, I like your leather jacket. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, here's a tweet from Maggie Haberman. Um, I asked an administration official why the Affordable Care Act suit would be filed now on the heels of Trump's best two days in two years, arguably. The official deadpanned, too much positive news. We needed to change the subject. Yeah, I would say between William Barr's summary of the Mueller report and then Michael Avenatti, Trump like should be having a great week. So I, I am a little baffled about this decision. Do we know anything about his reasoning? Yeah, uh, he's definitely on cloud nine. I mean, I think that part of it is just like he feels empowered to sort of move forward with whatever he wants to do now. Uh, the argument from what we understand from the New York Times reporting is that uh, they feel like this is an unkept promise, right? That repealing the Affordable Care Act was something that he promised to do and he hasn't been able to do yet. And now maybe with a couple more Republican senators, they might be able to do it. I guess they're forgetting that Democrats literally won the House on this issue. Mm. So, like, the reason why the House is Democratic is because of health care. Yeah. I guess that everyone forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if he wants to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, what is he proposing that we replace it with? Anything? That is a... That's a great question. We have no idea. It's like the last two years never happened. I mean, Republicans, since the Affordable Care Act was put into law, Republicans have been saying they want to repeal and replace it. I started covering Capitol Hill in 2011, and that's when Republicans took over the House. They started. It was the first bill they voted on, repealing the Affordable Care Act. They have, not, they have never come up with a solution to replace it. In, in, in all of that time. So uh, I will be very interested to see if they actually have an idea this time, but it does feel a little bit like the last, you know, seven years have not existed. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, so to this point, okay, they don't, they don't have an alternative plan. Um, as you pointed out, it right. worked out great for Democrats, um, and there's a lot at stake for Republicans. Are there any Republican lawmakers who've expressed res reservations about really doubling down on this? Yeah, so uh, from what we understand from reporting that uh, even uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, has said that this is not a good idea. I mean, Republicans all over Capitol Hill are sort of privately saying, publicly saying, um, like, let's not touch this till we have a really good idea as to what to do. The thing with the lawsuit, you know, Trump, ha Trump and his allies in the White House have convinced themselves that this lawsuit that was filed by 20 uh, Republican attorneys general will work its way through, their through the courts. The law will be overturned at the Supreme Court, they believe, and then Congress will be forced uh, to deal with the aftermath. But we know that Congress really doesn't do anything. And so it would be surprising, you know, why would you, why would you risk that? Why would you wait until it gets overturned to see if, if maybe you can come up with a replacement. I mean, it's, it's a really baffling uh, situation mm. right now. Oh, well, here's a tweet from the New York Times. 
Behind the new push to nullify the Affordable Care Act in a heated Oval Office meeting, President Trump dismissed concerns of Mike Pence and other top aides. So it seems like what the Times is saying that even Mike Pence, Trump's VP, is not really on board with this. Do you think that's what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from from all the reporting that I've seen, that that's exactly. I mean, Mike Mike Pence was in Congress. Uh, he knows how difficult it it is to come up with a replacement. Uh, Mike Pence remembers the last two years where they tried to come up with something and it did not work out for them. I mean, they are looking at uh, they are looking at this through an electoral lens as well. I'm not saying that Mike Pence wants the Affordable Care Act to stand uh, because I think we know that he doesn't. Um, but the reality is, is they got pummeled in the last election over this. And, you know, they, Democrats are more than happy to have this fight. I mean, this is a fight they absolutely want to have and, uh, and know that they can, they can win on because they just did it. Yeah, I have to imagine that 2020, you know, contenders are just like, oh, please let uh, Trump continue to yeah. push this. I is it just Trump? Is there anyone else in the room where it happened that also agrees that they should try to nullify the ACA? Yes, it's Mick Mulvaney, his acting chief of staff or chief of staff. I don't I don't know why he needs the acting now. Uh, <laughs> but Mick Mulvaney. Uh, was elected in 2010, that time that I was talking about. He was one of these congressmen that got elected on sort of an anti-Obamacare wave and got and swept into um, the Republican wave and took over in 2011 in the Republican House and uh, has always sort of moved forward in this way that they should just scrap the whole thing and just see how things go. And so... Uh, he he has convinced Trump that this was absolutely the right move. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Um, of course, it's truly fascinating to see how this plays out. A lot of implications. Thanks, Kate. Yes. Thank you. All right. Up next, we are so excited about the movie Us. We've been talking about it all morning here in the office. And this morning, we are going to talk to the man behind the music of Us. I've got five on it. <laughs> Welcome back. Here's a tweet from Ron. I really enjoyed the movie Us, and I think the music score was perhaps my favorite part. Really spooky, unnerving, and ramped up the tension wonderfully. I absolutely agree. Well, Michael Abels, uh, the film composer for Us, joins us now. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. Great to have you. This is such a thrill. Um, so, of course, you worked with Jordan Pill on Get Out and now with us. Uh, what was it like collaborating with, with him on this movie? It's, it's a wonderful experience. He's a terrific collaborator. He really knows what he wants musically, and he can talk about that really clearly. At the same time, he's really looking for me to provide my own creative ideas and expressions. So uh, it's a great creative leash to be on working with Jordan. Yeah. Um, well, we've heard, we've been listening to I've Got Five on it this morning yeah. <laughs> in the studio, which made it a little scary here. Um, and we wanted to ask about the story um, of how that became such a key song for the movie and its different iterations throughout the movie. Well, Jordan had that song in the original script. It's used at the beginning of the film to um, as a way for you to get to know the family that's at the center of the story. Um, uh, but then uh, Jordan loves taking... Uh, something that you you think of in one context and twisting it and putting it in another way that makes you never look at it or hear it the same way. So that was his idea to really take it to the dark side. 
Um, and it was, it was just a huge pleasure to be able to, to do that with him. Yeah, it worked. How do you pick a song like that to be such a cornerstone of the movie? Like, I mean, I've obviously heard that song before, but now it's become such a huge piece of this movie. How do you do that when picking out a pop song that people might obviously not relate to a horror film at first? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so he chose it, but I th but the reason I think the reason he did is that it would clip from the from the uh, from the main characters in the story, it's clearly would be a song from them growing up, a song that would be part of their, you know, background and they're sharing it with their, their kids and they're having a little trouble trying to, you know, they want to, their kids to appreciate the song, but they also want to get a good message out of it at the same time. So it's funny, but you get to know the characters. Um, and I think that's where the choice of it came from. Cause it was really, it's, it's real for what, who the characters are. I also wanted to ask about the song that plays during the opening credits uh, for people who have seen it. You know, we're just looking at the rabbits in the cage. The buddy song. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I call it call. Anthem. And I got to tell you, I was like, I know I'm in this movie theater to see a scary movie, but I actually found myself like kind of starting to twerk. Um, it was actually pretty awesome. great. <laughs> so, so what was the intent behind Anthem? So that is a couple things. One is that you, you out of the idea of that song, you want to get that there's people and they're organizing and they're not happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's really kind of a battle rally and you feel that, you feel that um, evil energy building behind the music. But at the same time, it's not a march. Like this is a march of, it's a multicultural march. So mm -hmm. I didn't want it to just have a marching beat. I wanted it to have a funky beat. So they, it comes in, it sounds very much like a military march and then the beat drops. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and you realize this is not your regular not your regular kind of battle plan music. So if you were jamming to that, I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> it is pretty catchy when it's yeah. not terrifying. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so, you. That's, see, that's the thing. Catchy and terrifying. Perfect. <laughs> that's perfect for a Jordan Peele movie. And Us is only mm -hmm. the second movie you've ever scored with Get Out being your first, but you've been writing music compositions for decades. So have you always wanted to score films or was this something that these movies were special? Mm. Well, it, it, it's both. I mean, you writing music to me, music all all music is really storytelling of a different type, and so I have always felt like film composing was a natural for me. Um, but Jordan saw my uh, concert orchestral music on YouTube uh, before Get Out, and he made the producers hunt me down and find me. Hunt wow. him down and find you. That is so awesome. That is crazy. Yeah. You never know what putting yourself out there in that way will, what opportunities will come your way. I love that. You really, you really don't. I, I had about, I don't know, a couple hundred hits, but wow. one of them was Jordan Peele. Incredible. Wow, I love that. Incredible. I also, and, and Stephanie was asking about like, the way pop and popular songs figure into the movie. The fact that a white character brings us um, NWA's Fuck the Police uh, did not feel <laughs> coincidental. And so I just wanted to ask you about that choice as well. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, that's one of Jordan's great jokes. He, um, there was a couple, they, were, they, were, they tried a couple different songs in response. And the whole idea is that, well, I don't want to give away the joke in the movie, but mm -hmm. there, were others, there were other songs that could have happened right there to, to follow through on the joke. Mm -hmm. But that one was really the best one um, to deliver the laugh. But also, it's so culturally significant and really interesting. You know, you watch that scene, you hear that movie. I mean, you hear that music and, and just a lot of different 
um, ironic things come up for you. And that's the sort of thing that Jordan really loves to do. Absolutely. It goes from being funny to actually kind of just disturbing and haunting all these different resonances. Well, Michael, clearly yeah. you are doing excellent work. And I just want to say thank you. You made such a wonderful impact on us with Get Out and Us. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> God, that was terrifying. Oh, God. <laughs> You're scaring us all over again. Thank you so much. Just for that song. (laughs) Oh, man. I literally had a fight or flight instinct right now. All right. Uh, Obviously, the Us soundtrack is available on all streaming platforms, and the movie is everywhere. I'm ready to go see Us a second time, obviously. Um, Well, up next, Sylvia sits down with Christina Milian. Stay tuned. Oh, a second time, too. to be joined now by singer and actor Christina Milian. You know her from songs like AM to PM, Dip It Low, (laughs) and the movie Love Don't Cost a Thing. And now she's joining The Oath on Sony Crackle. Hey, girl. Hi. That's a nice rundown. I'm feeling all that. How are you? How are you? I'm so good, thank you. Good to see you. Well, we at AM to DM (laughs) love your song AM to PM. You know I love the title AM to DM because it's like my song AM to PM. I know. I have friends who literally refuse. Like, oh, when are you going to be AM to PM again? I'm like, it's AM to DM. DM. I love your influence and your impact. (laughs) Would you have any fun memories about like making that song or from that time in your career? Oh, yeah. Well, when I wrote that song, I wrote it with uh, my the two producers, but we literally, okay, so this is what was happening. So it was in Sweden. Uh-huh. We were working on my album at the time, and we didn't sleep. We kind of almost had a bet with each other, like, who could not sleep for the longest. Mm-hmm. So we went three days straight with no sleep working in the studio, and it was like we were working from a.m. to p.m. <laughs> back to a.m. to p.m. to a.m. to p.m. So it, was, it wasn't even based on partying because I knew nothing about partying at that time, but it was about, the song ended up being about that. But um, it was really because we just didn't sleep and we wanted to write a party song. Oh, relatable. Yeah. Yeah, this should really be AM to DM yeah. song then. Or so <laughs> sometimes PM to AM, you know? Yes. Keep on going. Cool. Well, moving up to modern times, I want to talk about something you tweeted recently. Uh-huh. You said, as an outsider who has been kindly welcomed to New Zealand for the last five weeks by the most beautiful people off and on set, I'd like to send my prayers to all the, the all affected by the recent attack. Mm-hmm. It saddens me to hear of anyone anywhere falling victim to these kind of attacks. But this particularly hits close to home. Mm-hmm. So you were in New Zealand um, filming. Yes, um, I was. Um, falling in love. Yes. What did so? Can you talk about being there during that time and like where that tweet was coming from in that moment? Um, I mean, it was definitely straight out of New Zealand. I was there, and uh, it, it's crazy because we were on set, we were filming, so like to, we didn't get to watch news that often. So people started to slowly get messages on our phones, mm. people checking on me and stuff, and. Um, you know, it didn't really sink in until the next day when we can get really real information. But it was just, it's disheartening and it's sad. No, obviously, you know, stuff like this happens in the world every day. But these people are so, uh, they're a really simple, like, family-oriented right. group. The Kiwi and the Maori are family and they're strong people. And um, and it's a very harmless type of place, it's, yeah. it, it, honestly. Um, you feel really safe there. So to hear that that happened is really unfortunate um, anywhere. Like I said, it just comes from the heart. I do, I, it, it hurts my feelings when I, it just hurts when you hear about this kind of stuff and you just pray for change. And from what I hear, there has been change made by the, um, 
prime minister, you know. Oh, that, that definitely feels like it must have been a very experience to tie that cast together yeah, in I a never way, too. I expected I was going to even, that that would happen while I was there, yeah. yeah. Can, what can you tell us about the project, Falling in Love? Um, it's a it's a um, romantic comedy uh, for Netflix. I did it with uh, Roger Cumble. He's the director. He did um, Cruel Intentions. Ooh, Ooh, that just had a big anniversary. That like yes, it did a twentieth anniversary. Yeah. I love him. And he's got the best humor. Like his humor is uh, unexpected because Cruel Intentions has like a dark humor to it. Yeah. So this is a little bit more like uh, I don't know. We have a lot of fun in each scene. He gave it all purpose, and you know, I just had fun just doing each scene, just being um, kind of coming out of myself like getting out of my shell he'd tell me to uh, you know try this and in my mind I'm like should I just you know I'm so you you could stay one way but right. you know sometimes you gotta it's okay to make ugly faces and, and do all this stuff yourself, and yeah. come out of your shell because it comes out great on, on camera so that'll be out next year I'm excited about it cool yeah. and you're booked busy and blessed as my friend Kayla Walker would say because you also are doing the oath right yeah yes, yeah, so yes. Talk, what can you talk yes. about that role girl I'm trying to I'm like I'm yes. gonna write a list soon yeah well, <laughs> Oh, fall in love. <laughs> yeah, feel like you said, feeling very blessed. Um, I, I did a show called It's the Season Two of The Oath. Um, season one premiere. Well, it's both one and two. You can find it now on um, Sony Crackle. But I play a cop. And uh, it's pretty awesome. People don't expect that from me. A lot right. of the time you kind of might see the social media stuff or the comedy stuff. This was great time for me to actually kind of like step up and show the other side of me kind of the base of like how my dad raised me because he raised me to be very tough and my sisters as well but I come from a family of boxers we're always wrestling acting like ninjas fighting boxing like anything <laughs> in the house but he was always raising us to say that we could protect ourselves mm -hmm. um so when I read for Christine Parks I fell in love with the character um I thought she was she was just dope she's tough but she also stands for something and she's trying to take care of her family and the only person that she has in her family now is just her little sister because her dad passed away so um she's trying to survive and she needs a family and people out there on the streets with her as a cop mm -hmm. to help protect her so she looks to the ravens to do that nice yeah and 50 cent is the executive producer yeah. of this what is he like as a boss um, I mean, he's a cool boss. I'm happy to have him on the good side on my side. Not tweeting anything crazy about me. <laughs> no, thank you. Nah, but 50's dope. He was on the set and he's um, he's just like, he's super humble. Like he's down to earth and cool. And, and like he gave everybody equal attention, which was really cool. I actually kind of was like, when do I go up to him and ask for a picture? When do I go up? And he was just like, hey, what's up, you know? Yeah. So me and Katrina Law got a really cool picture with him. Um, but he, and talked to him for a while, actually. But um, yeah, he's a, a, I guess you would say charismatic, but also just very like humble and grounded. And he does his thing. Like, I mean, we made a real show. It's, yes. Yeah. No, it's crazy. <laughs> but it's cool. Yeah, the yeah. fact that he gave me this opportunity, it's a huge blessing because I don't, these kind of roles don't come along every day. Right. Mm -hmm. And as if all of this was not enough, you were also the very important role of mother yeah. to Violet. Yes. And I, um, I think it's adorable, especially when you tweet about her. I think you posted something on Instagram that said, like, my daughter has discovered the magic and wonder of your mama jokes. <laughs> she did. <laughs> Can you tell us one of the best ones, please? Oh, I was like, I need to know. <laughs> well, she makes up, so she makes them up. So I was like, she's like, mom, check this out. She'll just say it random. We'll be in the car. And she's like, Mom, listen, 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 listen. And I'm like, turn on the radio. 
And she's like, yo, mama. But I can't remember. It's so made up. I can't remember uh -huh. that I was like, let's Google someone so that you actually have some. Because you need, you need the good ones on your, on your checklist. Right. So I remember one of my first ones was, yo, mama's so fat. She tripped and chili poured out her knee. <laughs> That was like uh, chili poured out her knee. Chili poured out her knee. I get it. Those, those uh, used to be a thing back in the day. Yeah. But it sounds like she has all the stage presence and you yeah, got already yeah. there. I was there. trying to find like the ones that weren't mean, but like at the same time, if you, you need to be in a yo mama situation. No, yes. You better be ready, You gotta girl. be ready with your best your it's mama all jokes. about, because your mama's all in fun, but at the same time, I was like, let me not give her the brutal ones. And at the same time, <laughs> the funny, goofy, stupid ones. I'm like, at nine years old, you don't want to have the terrible, yeah. Well, I'm glad the next is carrying on that honored sacred tradition. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I was surprised they still do it. <laughs> I was like, you know about that? That's my time. That's so funny. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Christina. Thank you. You can watch the old season two on Sony Crack Crackle. Yes. But that more AM to DM is up next. Yeah. Turn up. <laughs> Welcome back. We are joined now by Brian Tong, host of the BuzzFeed News game show, Outside Your Bubble. What's up, Brian? What up, Saeed? What's going on, man? Good, good. We're doing <laughs> Brian, well. I love your shirt. It's so great. Oh, flower power. Hi, Stephanie. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Got to represent the Murakami, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, last night's, of, last night's episode was all about superheroes, and I think we have a little clip. Let's take a look. Oh, good Lord. Welcome, Bubble Buddies. This is Outside Your Bubble from BuzzFeed News. I'm your host, Bubble Man. And it is my job to help you at home win that cash money. We've heard you guys. You want more money? And tonight is a double, bubble, double bubble game. $10,000 on the line. For those of you who are new, here's how the show works. I'm going to introduce you to two people who don't exactly agree with each other. They're going to defend their points of view. They're going to think outside their bubble. Oh my god. Really guys? Really? You gotta, you gotta put me on blast like that? <laughs> Bubble are, Buddies? Are fans of the show called Bubble Buddies? Yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, the show, we've only been out for about a month now. We have this kind of culture within it. So we've got Bubble Buddies. We've got um, a guy in a literally like a inflatable bubble suit that comes in once in a while called Bubble, Me bubble Boy. Um, we have in the show, we give kind of clues and we call them Bubble Clue! God. So... Oh uh, it's all about we, we we got we got it rolling. It's fun. It's fun. You're the only person who can make this happen. And I know. I know. On. None of us here at BuzzFeed New York. We're all way too boring. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, you guys are awesome. <laughs> I love it. Well, tonight's episode is hippies versus hipsters. Um, can you give us a little preview? We're going to play a little game because here's the thing. On the show, of course, you know, you pit two groups against one another that identify with them. But Stephanie and I realized that neither of us is a hippie or a hipster. So we're yeah. going to try our best with this game. So Okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm going to say, uh, Saeed, with your hairdo, you might lean towards more hipster right now. <gasps> A just, just, just a little, <laughs> just leaning a little. I mean, I'm not, that's not hippie, man. That ain't hippie. That ain't hippie. I can be the hippie. You can be the hipster. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. You okay. are from California. I am from California. Okay. So, yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go. Okay, you Brian. Got, you know I got nothing but love for you, all right? So, <laughs> all right. okay, so let, let's go here. We're going to start with the first question. It's a nice education for everybody. Here we go. This is going to be a hipster question. And according to BuzzFeed, what's the best flavor of LaCroix? Is it A, coconut, B, pamplemousse, C, la cola? 
Uh, Pamplemousse? Pamplemousse? Yeah. The correct answer, site is Pamplemousse. Oh, I knew it. I love Pamplemousse. I love Pamplemousse. Pamplemousse. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Very nice. All right, next up, here we have um, which of the following is a type of mustache? Is it A, bicycle bar, B, handlebar, or C, dive bar? <laughs> B, handlebar. <laughs> The correct answer is B, handlebar, Stephanie. I'm very invested no, right now. You know, dive bar sets us up for a really funny joke that I won't make. No. This is a family, this is a family what? show. This is a family show. Oh, right, right. Oh, wow. All right, to AM to the DM, a late night booty call action. Oh, here we go. Number three. Wow. Saeed. Okay, here we go. We're going to hippie questions. In 1969, the Woodstock, Musical and art fair took place in what town? A, Bethel, New York. B, Las Vegas, Nevada. C, Marfa, Texas. <laughs> Bethel, New York? Correct. Saeed, A, Bethel, New York. Okay. It's 2-1. That would have been crazy. What if you guys got that wrong? What if you all got that wrong? Like, that would come on. horrible. We got it. You're you would have got it. Well, I'm just mad because like, you're hitting the buzz. You're faster than me. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That is true. That is true. Okay, here we go. This is the last question for you two, Stephanie. Get, get ready for this, all right? Which Ben & Jerry's flavor was inspired by a member of the Grateful Dead? A, Bohemian Rhapsody, B, One Love, or C, Cherry Garcia? C. C, Cherry Garcia is correct! Which means you are both tied. You we both tied. represented oh. the hippies and the hipsters. Break? Final score, winner, two to two. Bring I guess I'm going to have to come back. I'm kidding. <laughs> you should come I'm back. have to come back to resolve these differences you between the two of you. You're the single oh most goodness. delightful person in so social media game shows, Brian. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a small group, but I'll take that. Yeah, it's still at the top. It's still at the top. Well, Brian, as always, right. thank you for hanging with us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And everyone, be sure to check out new episodes of Outside Your Bubbles Wednesday and Thursday live at 10 p.m. on Facebook Watch. Up next, I'm so excited to be sitting down with Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Award winning singer and performer, Ben Platt. No big deal. Nope. Hello, my queens. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Tony winner, Grammy winner, and Emmy winner, all, star, all around superstar and sweetheart, Ben Platt. Hello. Hi. Oh, listen you? to Everyone doesn't get that cheer sound, by the way. Oh, my goodness. That's all you. Wow. That's all you. Wow. Um, I'm so excited about your new album. Thanks. But I wanted to start talking about Dear Evan Hansen. Sure. Because it introduced you to people in a whole new way. 100%. It was also very demanding, like, was eight performances a week? Yes, yeah, so eight, eight performances a week. Obviously, super vocally challenging. Uh -huh. as people know now from from the from the album and stuff. And yeah, it just sort of took me to different lengths as a as a human being that mm -hmm. I'd never been to, like kind of emotionally and physically uh -huh. and all of that. And so I think kind of making this original album right after that and having stuff sort of having stuff in my pockets with experiences that mm -hmm. I actually wanted to kind of write about and, right. and and feelings that I wanted to write about was kind of a beautiful timing. Right, and that's what I wanted to ask you, because you wrote, like, you co-wrote, like, all 12 songs on yes, the album. Yes, and I know, like, when you're when you're in the lead in a Broadway show, it's almost like you're a monk, like you're kind of by yourself. 100%. So it does feel like you kind of stored up a lot of experiences, and then you just it just had to let it out? Exactly, and this has been, thankfully, such a collaborative, and not to say that Evan Hansen was not, but uh, because I'm not so worried constantly about mm -hmm. my health and, right. and keeping everything so physically you sort of in check, it's been a bit freer of an experience, mm -hmm. and musically can just be some, uh, more about sort of what do I enjoy singing and what makes me feel good to sing. So that's, that's so really cool, wonderful. that's so cool. And you passed the baton in uh, 2017, but uh, along the way, I felt like it was like every week, I was like, which celebrity are we gonna see backstage <laughs> with Ben? It was, I mean, let's 
Mr. Hillary Clinton, we got Biden, Zach Efron, hey Zach, Emma uh, Stone, Beyonce. Yeah, I was gonna say, it took, I can't believe it took you five. Well, you know, we Beyonce. saved the queen for last. <laughs> okay, fair. fair enough. <laughs> the beehive is not coming for me. Uh, do you, <laughs> do you have um, just a favorite moment? I'm not gonna make you choose between all of you. Sure, I mean, it's, you know, Probably, I mean, I always, I often talk about Beyonce because yeah. obviously she's the number one, but but because you mentioned Hillary, that mm-hmm. was very special, mm-hmm. particularly because it was not too far after we were all very disappointed mm-hmm. that things didn't go our way. And so Ooh. it just was a nice opportunity to say to her, like, thank you for everything and for, you know, yeah. being this kind of beacon for all of us that are sort of panicking in this current time. And she couldn't have been lovelier and more normal and down to earth and sweet and funny. And That's awesome. Great. That's awesome. Well, let's talk more about Sing For Me Instead, which sure. also is a sexy title, okay. I want to say. I want to say. Um, again, so you you co-wrote all 12 songs. A reviewer said it's a mix of Adele and Sam Smith, which is sure. a pretty good them. place yeah, to be. It's like it's a mix that. of them, but it's all you, you know? Like, they're yeah. comparing you to someone. Um, but you're very personal on the album. You're, you're talking about relationships. Uh, is it difficult to kind of draw from that part of yourself and share it with people. Certainly, it's definitely a new experience because mm-hmm. I grew up in the theater and then a bit in film and stuff, and so I'm very used to kind of having this lovely safety net of character mm-hmm. and then sort of another person's perspective and mm-hmm. a greater project. And mm-hmm. so I think I kind of took for granted how scary it would be to kind of be sharing and endorsing fully my own kind of feelings mm-hmm. and, and, and thoughts. And I think as soon as the first kind of few songs came out about a month ago, it, that Band-Aid was ripped off kind okay. of quickly. And, it, and, and just seeing people connect with it and find kind of universal in the specific has mm-hmm. been really a beautiful thing to That's watch cool. and now I'm just excited for the rest of it to come out at this point. Is it, to be a messy bitch for a second, <laughs> is it a little fun though to kind of think about past relationships? Like, do you, Are you going to be like a little serving us a little Taylor Swift? Of course. There's a bit of, there's a, there's a vindictive moment on there. <laughs> okay, so there's good. a song called New that's a bit of a thank you next. Thank you for I really that. love, of okay. course. Amen. But yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, the reason I think that I wanted to call it Sing to Me instead is because, you know, I often find that there are experiences in my life or feelings that I've had that kind of stick in my craw that I feel like I haven't really been able to process mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. I figure out a way to, to put them into music or to sing about them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, that's kind of been the best part of the whole experience. And so I, I do, there is a, a certain amount of, of fun and enjoyment in, in getting that sort of satisfaction of feeling like I did get to express mm-hmm. something I wasn't able to just by kind of talking about it. Like it was something kind of worth singing about. And hopefully people feel like okay. they can commiserate with, with that too. I believe it. Uh, you know, when I'm working on poems, sometimes I uh, will have a phrase or a title or a word in my notebook Certainly. for years, yeah. years before the poem happens. Is it like that with songs? you have lyrics like totally. that? Totally. You kind of pick up phrases and, mm-hmm. and things and, and sort of little conceptual like like uh I was on the way home from Disneyland randomly with okay. a fellow that I was seeing at the time and um just this idea of grow as we go kind of popped into my mind this phrase of because I was thinking about the fact that we were having a lot of sort of tribulations as far mm-hmm. as like we both wanted to kind of grow personally and mm-hmm. kind of find ourselves with our own space but also mm-hmm. we're not looking to break up because we really liked each other very much and mm-hmm. so I, I I was just in the front seat driving home thinking about all the rides and stuff we've been on and that phrase kind of popped into my mind and I was like that's definitely worth exploring and writing a song about mm-hmm. and then cool I love it yeah. I love it um, something that I think is interesting um Seeing the way your album is covered in your singles um, sure. and seeing headlines like uh, Ben Platt comes out and music, da, 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 and, and this happens a lot, it happened with Sam Smith. We see this, you know, it's exhausting. Yes, a little uh, bit. A little bit. <laughs> because we know, you know, queer people, we come out every day sure. in different ways and, and it's frustrating to be framed. So I just wanted totally. to ask you, how are you doing? How are you navigating all of this? That's very nice of you to ask. I, you know, I, well, I, I, I was really happy that that was sort of part of this journey mm-hmm. and part of this narrative. And I think 
I really hope that we are edging towards a time where it can be an assumed part of reality and mm -hmm. like you said, does not need to be this sort of announcement and can just sort of be part of who you are. And I guess that, you know, the the, the sort of announcement of it all has been mm -hmm. really beautifully innocuous and there's mm -hmm. been nothing unexpected because I have theoretically been out to, to everyone in my life personally mm -hmm. since I was a little kid, since I was 12, 13. Okay. Um, but I think what my I'm trying to always be conscious of is not letting that sort of exclude people who aren't in the queer community from connecting to the music mm -hmm. and from the music kind of being the focus and the art being the focus and allowing my identity and my queer identity to enhance that and mm -hmm. make it more specific and thus more universal rather than sort of suggest that it's only for people that are also queer. So yeah. I, I've, I've loved seeing the queer response and mm -hmm. seeing especially young people who love to see the representation, particularly in the videos. And, right. and, and that's, you know, that's a, such a beautiful part of this experience. But I also really love the fact that there was this sort of, you know, second wedding that someone posted that they used Ease My Mind as the, oh my the, the song to walk down the aisle. That's beautiful. And, you know, it's a beautiful woman. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, I love the idea that there's a way in for everyone, but I, I'm also very happy to be representing. That's good. And, and it fellow. feels like I would like to think that it's getting easier for, sure. uh, for people in music to do, you know, years and years and Troye Sivan and you and, uh, and Sam, um, was there ever a conversation about pronouns in your songs? Like you know, with your studio, or was it like just... Not mentioned? really. I mean, the okay. label has been unbelievably cool. open creatively in all senses, not just in sort of the pronoun sense. But it, for me, it was always just sort of like, if, if the song calls for mm -hmm. that amount of specificity, then why would I go in and edit and sort of change mm -hmm. to make things sort of heteronormative? And mm -hmm. it was all just kind of when it's necessary, it is, and when it mm -hmm. isn't, it's not. And... Yeah, no one, no one really said anything about it in a beautiful way. I love it, as they should not, because I'll fucking come for y'all. Y'all don't want it. Y'all don't want no smoke. Um, I do want to ask you, I mean, this is incredible. EGOT is something that often people, you know, aspire to, like, over their lifetime. Sure, sure. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're, you're doing pretty well. You, you've got, so what, three, so you've got Emmy... Uh, an Oscar? No, no, you don't have the Oscar. No. You have the Emmy, and Tommy, and Grammy. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh my goodness. Okay, so how are we gonna use this Oscar boo? Well, I'm not in any any rush, like okay. you said. I think. Oh, you're I, not I, in a I, rush. I, you're <laughs> like, I, I could take my time. I would love for yeah. You know, I mostly just want to make good stuff and okay. good movies and good stories. And if it leads to that, then beautiful. And if it doesn't, then I'll be an egg forever, and that's great too. <laughs> I love that. So I'm yeah, but that would be a, a beautiful thing one day, God willing. But you never know. You're so sweet. I'll be the bitch for you. Uh. Give my friend a fucking Oscar, okay? Ben needs the egot. Do it for the culture, uh. okay? We stand. Well, I've been told that I look a lot like Paul Simon, so I've always thought maybe I could play Paul Simon in a in a movie at some point. Just saying, if you look at this, the cover of their album okay. where they're both in the black turtlenecks, okay. it really looks like Jonathan Groff and me. It's like really scary if you do like wow. a side by side. Just saying, just pitching. Okay, listen. Like, just, I see the vision. I like it. Well, Ben, I'm just so excited to share your music with everyone Thanks. and just keep thriving. You're doing so well. Thanks for having me. I love it. All right, guys. Seem to Me Instead uh, drops tomorrow. Up next, Stephanie and I are going to read more of your tweets. I'm excited. It's going to be like a Music Friday coming up. Hey. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. We asked what the shadiest thing your group chat has done to one of its members, and Lily says, my friends banished a couple for a few reasons. One was being fucking annoying, another was starting some needless drama within the group for some ungodly reason, and the latter was a bit more complicated. Oh, leave us hanging, <laughs> I Lily. I have so many group text stories, and I can't tell any of them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what y'all did. Do you have any good group text stories? Well, it's funny, this tweet, I actually sent it to my siblings mm -hmm. because we have our overall family group chat with our parents, mm -hmm. and then we have another group chat with okay. my, you know, my brothers yeah. and their wives yeah. and everyone, where we talk about things we don't want to talk to our sure. parents about. Yeah. And my dad recently found out about it and was has been like throwing a ton of shade. Ooh. 
And he's been like, oh, I heard you guys have a secret group chat where you guys just talk That's shit. That's really funny. And we're like, well, yeah, obviously. That's duh. <laughs> and also, you know, you're still young people. You want to, everything you don't want yeah. your parents to. Yeah. That's really funny. It's really funny. He Screaming. wants in. <laughs> he wants in. Be careful what you wish for, Dad. Uh, Blasian FMAs had this to say, all paired up with each other and getting into relationships. Oh, in the group text and leaving one person out. Sucks for them, though. They have horrible lives and broken up. I win. Oh, okay. Blasian played the long game with the group chat. <laughs> Are they all coming back into the group chat? Oh, that's true. Or that's is a, he just Are they like, can we have a singles chat again? Yeah, putting people out. Just let us know. Give us the follow-up. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we want it. We want to know. Well, Princess Leia tweeted this about our conversation with Michael Abels, the film composer for us. This segment has me so giddy. My family and I love talking scores. My dad got his bachelor's in film scoring. Oh, he really did that with this film. Love hearing him describe his process. Yeah, that was I great. Love it was so great that. talking to him. I've never talked so cool. to a, or interviewed a composer before. Me either, and I want to do it all the time. Um, I, for years, uh, wrote to uh, Taryn Blanchard, scored for um, When the Levees Broke and for Eve's Bayou. That influenced a lot of writing. So, scores are just like so beautiful yeah. and. One, they're just great for writing and reading because they're, you know, different kind of thing. But also it's an interesting way to see the characters. Like, uh, Michael apparently assigned an instrument for every character in the movie and a different instrument for their double. You can look that up. What must it be like to have your brain work like that? Incredible. I mean, Brilliant. I certainly don't know. Screaming. Yeah, I, I, I don't have that range, friends. I don't. Yeah. Well, thank you to all of our guests Hannah Al Othman, Kate Nassara, Michael Abels, Christina Milian, Brian Tong, Sylvia Obell, and Ben Platt. We're going to get you that EGOT. It's happening. We're going to campaign. Isaac and Saeed will be back here tomorrow at 10, so have a great rest of your day. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.